Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there, this is Sam Maxwell, and I'm coming at you live on location, basically right around the corner from Ebbets Field, on Carroll, between Washington and Franklin in Brooklyn, Crown Heights, New York City. And uh, you, uh, we, ha- we uh, are here with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, uh, basically right around the corner from Bedford Avenue and Sullivan Place. So uh, welcome, and uh, joining us today is uh, a slew of giants. Uh, people, we were going all the way to Upper Manhattan, even though I'm coming at you live from Brooklyn, uh, to talk some Giants baseball. And uh, first, I'd like to introduce the uh, former bat uh, uh, clubhouse uh, attendant, excuse me, and um, and uh, also bat boy, and that is Ed Logan Jr. Welcome. Well, thank you. Hello, folks from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Coming at us live from Phoenix, Arizona, and on the Grand Central Parkway, stuck in traffic is the head of the New York Giants Preservation Society, and that's Gary Mintz. Gary, welcome. Hey, Sam. Sam, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Of course, and we'd like to just start off with the uh, current incarnation of the Giants uh, before getting into anything uh, about the past. And I'd like like to uh, start with you, Ed. You were just telling me about uh, the current Giants happenings before we got on air. Well, yeah, you know, we just lost three straight to, to the Pirates. Uh, you know, my problem with the Giants is they, you know, they're playing tag with the, with the Dodgers for first place, which is great. Um, but they then they get into these little inconsistencies, you know. They're up, they're up, and then they're down again. And I guess the, the weaknesses I see are, and have always been plaguing us, of course, is injuries and then the starters, the inconsistency with our, our starters. They're, you know, theoretically, we should have four twenty-game winners, but they, you know, they just uh, they they you root for them and then they let you down and then they come back and then that's just kind of the history of the Giants. So, and I guess that's the history right now of odd years. Odd years, <laughs> yes. Now, if we, uh, how well you've done lately in the uh, in the evens. If we, yeah, and if we uh, if we pull it off this year, then we can talk dynasty because that that's really going to show me something. Now, right after we had a bad spring training. And then a uh, very slow start, didn't look good at all. And then next thing you know, we're in first place, and then we bounce back down to second, and we'll, we'll get first again. But, again, it's consistency in, a, in the four starters. And, and, you know, we got our injured players back, and that, that's going to make a big difference. Gary, you chime in here, too, because you're watching the dailies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you I, I, I was going to ask you, before you chime in, I was going to actually ask you, I mean, three out of five is very unique. That even even oh. if it's not necessarily considered a dynasty in in the general sense of the of the word, you know, three out of five years, it, it, it's somewhat that, that's of an right odd up dynasty. with the Yankees, you know, and the Giants have never done that. They've, they their World Series are far and few between, you know, and to do three out of five is just phenomenal. You know, you wait, you, and, you wait. But you know, life. the trouble, like anything else, is the minute the the last out of the last game of the series, the team uh, falls apart. The guys go out, and you know, and, uh, they're out on, uh, you know, going to other teams and contracts up, uh, free agent, whatever. Remember when the Yankees were the Yankees for years and years and years? But uh, today's baseball, the team doesn't say now if you can replace them. With better people, great. We've been lucky that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll keep going, and uh, you know that Dodger Giant rivalry is still very very big on the, on the West Coast. In fact, it never went away from the from the minute uh, we left New York. 
Exactly. It's going back and forth right now. Gary, Gary, how do you how do you uh, see this Dodgers Giants rivalry right now? Well, it's wonderful, but I actually think both teams are pretty mediocre. Um, nobody's running away with the division right now. Dodgers have really fallen back. Uh, yeah. The Dodgers, Dodgers have a lot of great young talent. However, you know the fear of their awesome pitching staff is. There's not much fear anymore once you get past Kershaw and Granke, who are fabulous. And I could say right. that for the Giants, the Giants as well. I mean, who do you really yeah. afraid of after Madison Bumgarner pitches? The answer is nobody. And you know, when we won in 2010 and 2012, reason we won, we had four outstanding pitchers in each of those World Series years. Uh, last year. You know, we got by because of one guy, really, in the playoff. Madison Bumgarner was phenomenal. You know, Tim Hudson waited his whole career to pitch in a World Series, and he lasted uh, an inning and a third in, uh, you know, in, in the uh, the final game. And, and, you know, I felt and Bumgarner bailed him out. Uh, the, the Giants really need to shore up their starting pitching uh, because it scares yeah. no one. Uh, Tim Lincecum is... You know, he has a nice record and a nice ERA. He, he's a he's a shell of him of his old self. And, exactly. Uh, you know, Hudson, Hudson's a pro, but he's you know nearing forty. He's always hurt. That was a mistake in my mind. Saying thank you to him by giving him a two-year, twenty-four million dollar deal. You don't have to say thank you with that amount of money. <laughs> um, and then you got you got Chris Heston, nice rookie pitcher. You know, he's had his ups and downs lately. You know, he was never a prize prospect, but he's given them more of, more of what they thought they were going to get. And Vogel's songs pitched pretty decently. Most people thought he was washed up, myself included, at the beginning of the year. The long season, they are going to need reinforcements. Uh, as far as odd and even thing goes, I'm not sure I buy into that. Uh, I do know that after this year is over, though, Giants have a hell of a lot of money coming off the books. Uh, the problem is, I, I know we have a Hall of Fame general manager, but I question how he spends his money. The Giants are not cheap, but I just think money goes to too many players who are, are past their prime. That's my opinion. Do you think that the uh... – I'll, I'll go to you with this one, Ed. Do you think that the Mets and the Giants can match up? I mean, you're talking starting pitching here, and uh, the Mets are miraculously in first place but have been falling apart all season. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think they do. I'm, I'm amazed at the Mets. And uh, let me just throw something in here for a minute because the other night nice, – Nice pun, by the way. Nice pun. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing Mets. Um Happened to come up on a DVD called The Last Play at Shea, and it's a movie with uh, Billy. It's not a movie. It's it's actually a, a documentary uh, starring Billy Joel from Long Island, and uh, he played a concert at Shea Stadium right after the last game in 2008. Uh, highly recommended. The whole there's interviews with all the players and everything that ever happened at Shea Stadium from 1964. Uh, to the day it was torn down in 2008. Uh, and, uh, you know, the thing about it is they uh, they started out the polo grounds, which, mm-hmm. ironically, uh, that's gone, and now Shea Stadium is gone, and now Yankee Stadium is gone. And now uh, Candlestick Park is gone, 
for that matter, uh, not to mention Ebbets Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a they had a great little bit there where uh, uh, the events that had taken place in Shea Stadium and uh, over the years, different concerts and so forth. And one of the first ones was the Beatles in 1964. And there was uh, a red-headed Irishman who was the groundskeeper, the kind of the Matty Schwab of, of the Mets, who was there in 2008. And he drove the Beatles up to the stage back then. And then, uh, sure enough, they brought one of the Beatles back to the concert in 2008, and he drove him again, too. Then they showed him tearing down a stadium, and then right next door is the brand new Shea Stadium. Now, the brand Mets, new Shea Stadium, well, well said. <laughs> yeah, and but the Mets are the reincarnation of the half Dodgers, half uh, Giants. Have you noticed that the the blue yes. for the Dodgers and the orange for the Giants? Although they have the Giants in New York uh, symbol, uh, which people always confuse with the Yankees. By the way, that's another problem. But. Um, uh, Gary, I know you were trying to uh, get a point in about that. Yeah, that, about, that, about that, that. that groundskeeper is Pete Flynn. He's still a groundskeeper there. Yeah, yeah. He's well, been there they, they forever. Do great, they do a great job with the field. Feels gorgeous. They do. Brilliant. You can't see it in certain like spots, to, uh, but the field is great. Oh, yeah, right, right, exactly. You know, more on that later. But uh, first, I'd like to bring on uh, a friend of uh, the New York Preserva- the New York Giants Preservation Society and the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and that is the man who uh, captured some video of the last game at the Polo Grounds, and that is Mo Resnick, the last game of the Giants at the Polo Grounds. Excuse me. Mo, Hello. how are you doing? All right, how are you? The reason why I'm in trouble with everything is my batteries are low. I'm getting into a car. And I don't know where the hell I'm going if I can't use the GPS. So what can I say uh, very quickly? A hello, that's it. Well, well, well Mo, uh, I'd like to ask you about your cubbies right now, as long as we have. Uh, the what? Yeah, your cubbies, your, your Chicago Cubs. Oh, well, the Cubs are doing well. I have. Uh, uh, they're going to improve. They got a lot of holes that people don't realize, and uh, hopefully that'll be that'll be settled. So, too many strikeouts. So you guys help the you guys help the Mets out. We were just talking about the New York Mets right now, and and yeah, uh, yeah. you know talk about the Dodgers Giants legacy, not just even in the colors, but but just in that National League New York spirit. Um, the Mets the Mets seem to to keep that going, Gary. Yeah. Who's on the phone? Gary's on the phone. Everybody. Yeah, we got Gary, we got Ed, everybody say hello to Mo. Hey, Mo. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, so listen, it's a shame I got to get off because I'm out of batteries. I may uh, never get home. You can catch us real quick, though. I'm glad you could catch us real quick, though. Okay, I can hardly see you. We'll see you Monday night. We'll see you Monday night, Mo. We'll see you Monday night. Oh, all right, yeah. Okay, guys. Have a good one, Mo. You too. Yeah, that DVD that he made is uh, is f- fantastic, and I'm actually in it. And I had no idea that was going on. Had never heard of Mo until we connected, and his son actually is here or was here in Tucson. And when we were making that DVD, uh, which I'm interviewed at the end, uh, that was done in Tucson at uh, my daughter's house. His son came over and did the video. Uh, interview 
But there I was with Bat Boy, you know. And if you've seen that DVD, there were a lot of uh, Mrs. McGraw was there. There were they had mm-hmm. a lot of ceremonies at the beginning that that are really historical. In fact, Monty Urban was in it too. Speaking of which, uh, I understand he was just at the White House uh, when the Giants were, uh, you know, were fettered for their World Series victory. He is now ninety-six or so. And uh, let me say this: I had a very nice note from from Monty uh, a couple of months ago when the Cactus League uh, here in Phoenix, which is now 15 teams, Cactus League Museum uh, put my dad in as um, in their Hall of Fame as uh, pioneer of the Cactus League. Last year they did Horace Stoneham, so mm-hmm. it was two. And uh, Monty wanted to come, but he sent a really nice note. And this was done in front of 500 local uh, people and officials in uh, Peoria. In fact, the Mariners and the Padres Spring Training Stadium. And I'm looking over here on the wall, a nice plaque uh, that they gave my dad that I accepted on, in his honor. So I came, uh, came, uh, you know, f- fully around from 1947 when the Giants came out here and started spring training. And it's now 15, 15 teams. It's remarkable, and uh, we'll segue over to the uh, the push for Horace Stoneham getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's, yes, well, uh, if there's anybody that deserves it, it's certainly Horace, and he was he was like a grandfather to me, and certainly uh, a close friend of my dad's, although he worked for him all those years. Uh, very paternalistic with with his players and his staff. It took them all to San Francisco. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I was just, uh, as you know, Gary, I, I wrote that up for you, that little thing about going to San Francisco. And that's right. the way he was. Uh, I, I actually attended his funeral, but at my wedding in 64 here in Phoenix, he, he sent us a, a big silver tea set. I still, uh, wife and I still treasure that. He was uh, a household word, a household name in, in, in our house. We, we revered the man. What, what he's mostly famous for should be in the hall is right after Jackie Robinson um, he pioneered uh, Negroes in the uh, major leagues with uh, Monty Urban and um, and right after that uh, Hispanic players so you know there's two color lines that he broke uh, not to mention um, you know moving to San Francisco which people didn't like but that Started a whole West Coast that that made baseball national. So I could go on and on. There is there is an author by the name of Steve Treder who is now doing a biography on Horace, and I'm just looking at a list of questions he's asked me. Um, but there will be a book out there, will be a biography, and hopefully that'll give more traction to putting Horace in the hall. Uh, agreed, agreed. I uh, certainly would be a champion of that. Uh, and and Gary, um, I I know that uh, you wrote about I, I read something that uh, Ed sent me that you wrote about um, you know the pros and cons of of the Giants moving out to San Francisco, and um, right. one of the one of the things you mentioned about Ed was uh, Jim Hearn. That was his favorite player, and that's why he wore what was it the number twenty one? Correct. One. Yes. Correct. Well, Ed, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Jim Hearn. Tell us a little bit about that player. Well, first of all, he's a Southern gentleman. He he was a mainstay, you know, pitcher. But 
when I grew up in the clubhouse, you know, there's certain people I liked a lot. Of course, Willie Mays, I wound up being his bat boy. But Jim Hearn uh, just took a liking to me. And uh, I remember one time with the other kids in the neighborhood, we were doing this little newspaper about, you know, what kids did in Highbridge. And, you know, I was trying to sell the newspaper. It's just a little thing we put together in school that uh, you would have appreciated, Gary, with your kids. So anyway, uh, Jim Hearn was the first one to buy one for me, and then he would read all the stories, and then he'd kid me about it. So he became my favorite favorite player, and, and he would take care of me, and uh, I'd always felt, you know, he was he was kind of like an uncle in the clubhouse, even above a lot of the other players who were, you know, they, they used to throw, when they were mad after a game, they'd throw things around. Jim never did. He was, he was a real calm guy, and... I liked him a lot. Of course, my mother was from the South, so and kind of he sort of knew that, and uh, we had that in common. But that's that's you know when you're a kid, you have to pick out heroes, and, and he was one of them. Yeah, and that sounds like uh, he was really a hero to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Gary, you know you, you're you're in a really unique position in terms of growing up a Giants fan in Long Island, and. Um, so, so you know, when studying what came before you, you know, what are some of your favorite things that you've picked up on? Hey, Gary, are you there? Ed, I, I guess we've lost Gary. Oh, yeah, he must go through a tunnel or something, you know. Yeah, must have gone through a tunnel or something. Let me uh, let me check uh, on the uh, on the board, but yeah, unfortunately. Uh, the call has dropped on, on his. Maybe I'll call back in, so I'll certainly monitor that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, so so let's go let's go back into Brooklyn uh, as we uh, wind into the last twelve minutes of the podcast. Well, let um, me tell you about the, the the couple of times that I was in Ebbetsfield. Sure. Uh, when you know when, when the Giants played, first of all, Brooklyn was was uh, uh, alien territory. Okay, it was another country. <laughs> I lived in the Bronx, but right across the river was the Polo Grounds. And even though it was Manhattan, I never considered it really Manhattan because it was way up to the top of the, the island, you know. To me, it was just the Bronx anyway. Anyway, we would take the, my dad would take me in the subway all the way out to Ebbets Field, and it was a long ride, as I remember as a kid. Maybe it isn't now, but it was then. And we'd get to Ebbets Field, and then we were heart of uh, enemy territory. And the Giants' visiting clubhouse in Ebbets Field uh, was separated. They had a door. They had, a, they had kind of like a, a trap door. It wasn't really, I mean, it was a, not a regular door, but kind of like one. You see in a bank vault where it slides open, comes open like that, between the two clubhouses. Hmm. Otherwise, you had to go out in the hall and go through the regular, you know, the regular entrance to the clubhouse. But there was this, this, this side door. Well, Dad had to go through that a couple of times because he always had something he had to do. They they switched baseballs. They gave uh, Dad had an autographed baseball um, franchise, and he controlled all that. And and each team would swap back and forth uh, autographed baseballs for the clubhouse guys to sell. So a couple of times uh, I went with him through that door uh, you know, into the, into the enemy camp, <laughs> and uh, and it was a real weird feeling, you know, because they were always. Uh, they, they were always the enemy, and um, I can't remember if I actually. I know I, I saw the players, but I can't remember who they were. If I saw Jackie Robinson, but 
back in the pole grounds uh, many a time d- during the summers of the early 50s. Uh, the giant Dodger games were sellouts, and I did see Jackie Robinson sliding into second. And uh, the word in our clubhouse was he always had spikes up, and you know he wasn't very, but he was a, he was an aggressive player, and uh, that's what he was famous for among the among the Giants anyway. So I did I did actually see him, but anyway, then uh, of course the the clubbies all knew each other; they're very close. So Dad knew, of course, all the different clubbies. Including Yosh Kawanat, who was who was the Cubs uh, clubby, and um, I forget now who who it was uh, with Brooklyn. I, I always knew Pete Shahey from the Yankees because my grandfather Fred, who was the Yankee clubhouse manager, hired Pete Shahey, just as my dad hired uh, Mike Murphy, who by the way has just now become the emeritus clubhouse manager. He's no longer in charge of it. He's there, but but his job's been split among three other guys. They tell me hmm. uh, he's 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 kind of there as an emeritus guy. But that's after fifty four years, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember. Okay, so then there's a there's a company called Apartment Fifty Six, and they these little uh, porcelain Christmas buildings, and they they did the stadiums. They did um, Ebbets Field, and I have I'm looking at it right now. They did uh, actually a little. Uh, Ebbets Field building. They did the Yankee Stadium too, and I'm pushing them to do the Polar Grounds, which they haven't done yet. Hmm. You um, know, I, I uh, sometimes think about this from time to time. That, and this, there's no way this could ever be, because it's, you're talking about a completely different time and a completely different mindset in terms of design and uh, uh, kind of uh, symmetry and 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 merging and morphing and and using the past. In new designs, you know, as you as you build up, and I, yeah. in this day and age, if Ebbets Field had survived in any fashion, or had it been a completely different mindset, they would have built apartments, but the facade would have been included. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would have integrated is was the word I was looking for. Yes. Well, that's like Camden Yards, and and somewhat like. Uh... The, the Padres new stadium where they yeah the Padres being integrated into it. company yeah um, and you know Ebbets Field and to some extent some of the other stadiums are, are like what the spring training stadiums are here now they're they're kind of retro you know mm-hmm. smaller parks that uh, that kind of mimic what baseball used to be the um, and of course we have them all out here so I know them. there's 15 different ones. I was there in Baltimore uh, testifying at a trial the week that Camden Yards opened, so I got the Camden Yards inaugural T-shirt. And I, in fact, I lived uh, just south of there one time when I was in the Air Force by Annapolis. Hmm. I saw them building that, and I also saw them building uh, the Rocky Stadium um, in Denver uh, when I had a job up there one time. So, this, and that was the. Um, well, Camden started all the, the, the right. retro movement, and I think the architects did some of the other stadiums as well. Well, what's remarkable about Coors Field is um, that it's just so fresh still after uh, 17 or so odd years. Yes. Um, and 95, so it's been actually, this is its 20th anniversary. So, right. uh, but my, you know, this is a bit of a digression, but, I did, you know, it's just something that you brought up. I don't know whether they're ever going to be able to find a sustaining formula 
in Denver, even though they do seem to, you know, make some money. I mean, that place is right downtown and it sells out all the time, especially on weekends. Um, But I just don't know from a baseball perspective whether they're going to be able to find a way to integrate people's bodies constantly between, uh, you know, between the elevation up there and and going, you know, on the road. Because it seems as if, you know, what I've heard that it takes three weeks to really adjust to how high you actually are. And they're never staying, players are never staying there for a three-week period. Yeah, you know, that would be a, a study for Sabre to do. I wonder if they've looked at that, you know, statistically. Um, really got into what the difference was. You know, at one time, that the Rockies, when they were building it, that was the business model, and it was closely followed by the Diamondbacks here when they were first founded. I was also at their groundbreaking here. Did I mention I was the groundbreaking for for what was uh, Pac Bell Park? I was at both groundbreakings, um, the Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants' new park. Mm-hmm. Very fact, cool. Yeah, in fact, Phil, I have it on the old Hi8 tapes. We didn't have iPhones then. But, uh, yeah, I was at both of those. And also had um, seasons uh, tickets for the, the the first season of both of them. I still have the opening day paraphernalia that they gave out. Would love to have done that at the new Yankee stadium and at the Mets stadium too, just to, you know, to come full circle, but couldn't mm. do it. Yeah. That's, 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 that's unfortunate. Where, where you are on Ebbets field, are there apartments or garage? What, what is there? On Ebbets field. Now uh, there are apartments. Now there's interestingly enough, there's um, right in front of it, Interestingly enough, I bank across the street now from Evans Field. That's where my that's where my TD bank is, no, and okay. they have a, an awesome mural of of the uh, McKeever and Sullivan corner with the uh, the facade inside. And there were apartments there, and there's right on basically on an elevated ground floor. Who knows what the number is if you were actually in the um, the apartment building. But there's a playground, and there's a sign in the playground that says no ball playing, ironically. Um, and you walk in there. I mean, basically, you, you are walking on, you know, elevated probably two stories above where everything happens. Okay. Uh, probably the outfield specifically. But it, it's, it's a surreal feeling, you know, uh, being over there. Well, how far is the new basketball arena from there? Well, the basketball arena is where Walter O'Malley wanted to put uh, Dodger Stadium, and it is basically, you know, Bedford, you're going on Flatbush. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if you're going on Flatbush, it's probably about a mile and a half to two miles. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you may not know this, but my mother, you know, my parents were divorced before uh, my dad moved to San Francisco, or they were going through one, so she never went out there. But she eventually remarried and moved to Brooklyn on West 8th Street in Coney Island, huh. right there, um, you know, across the street from the Cyclone. Now, isn't there a new AAA baseball stadium there? There, There is a short season A because AAA could not work. That's a full season, and the Mets oh, and the Yankees okay. would never approve that. But I haven't seen that either, so that's a new stadium. You should definitely come, and you know certainly uh, I invite you to go to a Cyclones game with me next time you're in New York. And I'd unfortunately, we're running we're running out of time uh, on the uh, on the internet radio. Uh, but but Ed, I just wanted to thank you again for for sharing all your stories, and we'll certainly have you on again 
let's uh, maybe aim for the All-Star break and check in on your Giants once more. I would appreciate that. And let me just give a plug for the book, So Many Seasons in the Sun. I just got the last copy from Amazon. That was done by Larry Hogan a couple of years ago, and it's the history of baseball I've seen through uh, four clubhouse managers, two of whom were my dad and my grandfather. Oh, beautiful. Well, we'll certainly all pick up a copy of that. Uh, what's the title again? So Many Seasons in the Sun by, by so Lawrence D. Hogan. Available so on seasons. Amazon, at least it was yesterday, although I think it's sold out. They'll they'll reprint it again. Uh, and it, and it covers Pete Shahey and um, Mike Murphy. So from the dawn of baseball right up to present, as seen through four clubhouse managers. Beautiful, Ed. Thank you very, very much for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Sam. It was my pleasure. And thanks to Gary Mintz uh, for joining us. Unfortunately, he couldn't be back, but we will all catch everybody uh, up at some point in the near future, probably uh, middle of July. Have a great one, everybody. Take care. All right. Go Giants.